0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative.
1: Join us for critical conversations about things that matter.
0: Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio. 855 AM on your dial.
1: And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au.
0: So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics,
1: politics,
0: education,
1: health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 117th program of Think Again, again and still remotely and pre-recorded. Think Think Again is offered by the Borderlands Cooperative, an organization that has been dedicated to social change for more than 23 years. I'm Jacques Boulay, and whilst Jennifer, my usual conversation partner, isn't here today, I'm talking with Matthew Rimmer, Professor of Intellectual Property and Innovation Law at the Queensland University of Technology. And we will be talking about a theme we've already been discussing several times in our program, And with uh, Vijay Prashad, I call it medical apartheid. Welcome to Think Again and helping us think again, Matthew. Uh,
0: Thank you very much.
1: Ever since it arrived at at our shores early last year, we have been repeatedly talking about COVID and have tried to approach it from perspectives usually absent from our daily media and from the noises made by the commentariat. We showed how the existing fault lines in our health systems were co-creating many of the problems we, meanwhile, have come to experience. We talked with and about social service professionals and volunteers who work with individuals and groups particularly affected by the consequences of the pandemic. International students, for example, welfare recipients and the poor. And we examined the role of the media and how they amplify the politicizing of the pandemic in their reporting. We also started to raise the issue of global justice and and whether the developing world has actually a fair chance at defending themselves and their populations against the pandemic and its consequences. We questioned the power of the very wealthy pharmaceutical companies within the global health system and dedicated several programs to the really unfair distribution of the vaccines we noticed that which countries were rushing to be at the le- at the head of the queue in and we have of course our very special australian story about that but many tried to be at the head of the queue in the various beelines lines their governments were making to the vaccine produ- to the vaccine producing companies and how the covax system developed under the aegis of the who the world the world health organisation and agreed to by the rich countries was not really doing the job. So the issue of intellectual property rights over the vaccines kept coming up and the hesitance, or should I call it refusal, by Australia and other countries to support a move to relinquish those. So Matthew, that is where you come in. From your own research, can you tell us a bit about the history of global access to medicines?
0: There's been a a long history of conflict over access to essential medicines. Uh, These sorts of battles about uh, global access to essential medicines have cropped up previously during public health epidemics um, in relation to the HIV AIDS crisis, uh, in relation to, to tuberculosis and malaria but also in relation to emerging infectious diseases like the SARS virus and the MERS virus and avian influenza. Back in the 1980s, there were some debilitating patent races taking place in respect of HIV AIDS diagnostics. Famously, there were kind of competing efforts by French and American groups to develop some sort of diagnostic. Uh Luc Montagna leading the French group and um, Gallo leading the American mm-hmm. group uh, disagreed as to who had priority. In the end, the governments of the United States and France had to reach some sort of joint agreement. Subsequently, it was revealed that the American research was dependent upon the French research. The Nobel Prize went to the French researchers and not to the American researchers, Uh, But that really then led to a major crisis in the 1990s, um, particularly when a number of African states were really overwhelmed by the HIV-AIDS crisis. Um, And you talked before about how there have been kind of concerns about vaccine apartheid in South Africa and elsewhere at present. Um, There were certainly those sorts of concerns in the 1990s, Uh, Nelson Mandela's government sought to uh, get supplies from India of generic HIV-AIDS medicines. And in uh, return, uh, scores of the world's largest pharmaceutical drug companies sued the South African government, claiming that they were breaching their intellectual property rights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In return, the South African government said that really uh, they were making use of flexibilities within the intellectual property regime and they were protecting the right to health of their citizens. The Treatment Action Campaign uh, ran a very visible uh, media and political uh, campaign that received worldwide attention. And as a result, the drugs companies kind of withdrew from, from their action against the South African government, and there was some sort of reconciliation between the parties And at an international level, there was a kind of recognition that member states of uh, the United Nations could make use of intellectual property flexibilities in the future to deal with public health epidemics. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in, in some ways, I see lots of parallels and echoes between the HIV AIDS crisis and the current coronavirus crisis. And it's Mm -hmm. notable that the head of UNAIDS, Winnie Bayanima, has been a particularly strong campaigner for a people's vaccine during the coronavirus crisis uh, because of her own personal experiences in Uganda uh, with the devastating impact upon friends and family of the HIV-AIDS crisis. And Mm -hmm. she has really been working very hard to try to avert a similar sort of catastrophe in which medicines are available in wealthy nations, um, Mm -hmm, but not in mm -hmm. developing countries or less developed countries. So she's been very much of the view that we need to learn important lessons about human rights and intellectual property and public health Mm -hmm. from that previous crisis.
1: Yeah. And so what do you see happen now with global access to COVID-19 as a sort of result or a flow out of that story?
0: Well, I mean, in some ways, uh, we have seen some very similar patterns kind of emerge mm-hmm. um, since the HIV/AIDS crisis over intellectual property and infectious diseases. You know, there was a kind of a brief hope um, in the early two thousands that the Doha Declaration two thousand one and the WTO General Council decision in two thousand three would ensure that you know national governments would have the space to kind of take action. Um, to obtain essential medicines um, in the event of public health problems. But we've persistently seen kind of flare-ups of conflicts and disputes uh, between nation-states and pharmaceutical drug companies and biotechnology developers. Back in uh, 2004, I did a paper on the race to patent the SARS virus, in which Mm -hmm. there were Mm -hmm. competing claims to... Patents in relation to the genetic sequence for the SARS virus. Uh, And I I think that was in some ways a very uncanny precursor uh, to what has happened with the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. But we've also seen similar kinds of battles kind of arise with each new wave of infectious disease outbreak. So we've had some similar patent disputes around technologies developed in relation to MERS and avian influenza and the Zika virus and Ebola. The intellectual property system has not necessarily been very good in terms of allocating resources to uh, deal with public health burdens. So Mm -hmm. unfortunately, there have been many neglected diseases Mm -hmm. uh, and that has certainly been problematic. The Mm -hmm. last UN Secretary General, Ban Ki-moon, recognised that this was an ongoing problem. And he kind of gathered together a council of wise men and wise women to put forward uh, a roadmap for resolving some of these problems around intellectual property and access to essential medicines. And Australia was uh, represented by uh, the Honourable Former Justice of the High Court of Australia, Michael Kirby. Um, That Report suggested that there needed to be a number of things done um, to Mm -hmm. ensure that there were better responses in the future. So, the report recommended that countries needed to make use of flexibilities in relation to intellectual property and trade agreements. There was a need to build up public health infrastructure, uh, but there was also a need to invest in open innovation, open access, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, open medicine. Um, open science. And unfortunately at that time, um, those proposals were kind of resisted both by um, some developed countries like the United States, but also by um, some of the pharmaceutical drug companies and biotechnology companies. And Mm -hmm. it's a great tragedy that that opportunity in many ways was missed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And instead, there has been a a kind of a scrambling to try to deal with with a number of issues that have arisen during the coronavirus crisis. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, In many ways, it has been uh, incredibly quick uh, in terms of the ability of the drug companies and the vaccine developers and the public research organisations to respond to the crisis and develop new Mm -hmm. vaccines and diagnostics and other health equipment. Uh, But there have been um, some perennial problems in terms of the distribution of those new technologies. Mm -hmm. So there's been been a great deal of concern about the problem of vaccine nationalism,
1: Mm -hmm. in in Mm
0: -hmm. which nation states try to hoard vaccines for the use of their own population. Mm -hmm. Uh, And certainly that was a concern initially with the Trump administration, Mm -hmm. Um, But as the crisis has gone on, it's certainly been an issue with, you know, a number of European countries and Mm -hmm. the United Kingdom, uh, as well as the United States, have been kind of hoarding vaccines Mm -hmm. and medicines for the use of their, their population. In addition, there's also been a profound concern about the problem of profiteering. Uh, Mm -hmm. by pharmaceutical companies and vaccine developers and biotechnology companies. Mm -hmm. In terms of the vaccine race, there have been a select number of winners, as it were, who have developed um, powerful, effective vaccines. So I speak, of course, of Pfizer and AstraZeneca um, Mm -hmm. and Moderna. Uh, But they have been placed in a position of incredible monopoly power Mm -hmm. Uh, And there have been a number of reports um, of very heavy-handed tactics by some of those vaccine developers in terms of their negotiations with individual states. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. The Intercept Mm -hmm. has been reporting on um, South American states who have been kind of complaining about onerous demands being placed Mm -hmm. upon them by vaccine developers. There was recently an expose of, of a contract with the Brazilian government which had all sorts of extraordinary clauses within it. Mm-hmm. And even in Australia, there has been a great dependency upon Pfizer for vaccine supplies. Mm-hmm. And, of course, mm-hmm. in Australia, even though we are a very wealthy country, there have obviously been very significant problems in mm-hmm. terms of our ability to obtain mm-hmm the necessary mix of vaccines.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Australia in some ways invested heavily in a UQ vaccine that didn't quite come off. Mm -hmm. Uh, It invested in AstraZeneca. It also invested in Mm -hmm. in some Pfizer vaccines. Uh, But it's been a quite incredible situation in which, you know, Mm -hmm. Pfizer have been busy pressuring Australia that uh, mm-hmm. they need to kind of engage in personal negotiations between our Prime Minister mm-hmm. and the Head of Pfizer mm-hmm. over the vaccine supply, yep. which seems to me um, almost a very feudal situation. To yes, yes,
1: absolutely. Yeah, uh, that is the right word.
0: But, you know, Australia has mm-hmm. also been sourcing vaccines from COVAX which Mm -hmm. has been a little bit problematic given that COVAX has been intended to distribute vaccines globally to countries in need. Um, But it has also been engaging in all sorts of bilateral swaps with other countries to try to obtain vaccines.
1: Yeah. So, Matthew, probably to get our listeners a little bit uh, catching their breath, Thanks for getting us up again, up to date again about all of this. We will have some music now for a couple of minutes and quite appropriately the song is called COVID-19 Blues, sung by Gombak Hillbillies from Malaysia.
2: Well, I wake up in the morning, I turn on the news. The prime minister says I got nothing but the blues. We are all facing a terrible plague, so you can't go to work and you can't go out to play. COVID-19, you scary little thing, you got me locked at home, screwing up my routine. My dear fellow citizens, he went on to say, I'm so sorry, but there's no other way. Just stay at home, please stay safe, wash your hands, touch your face. Hey, COVID-19. COVID-19. You dirty protein. You got me locked at home fussing over my hygiene. I go down to the supermarket to get some supplies cause a man's gotta eat if he wants to survive. The egg trays are empty let me tell ya. You're a lucky boy if you get gardenia. COVID-19, COVID-19, you bring me bad luck, you got me locked at home, eating nothing but Maggie cub. Now it's been a while since I've seen my and pa, I missed him so much so I jump into my car, cop at the roadblock says you can't leave town, I will lock you in jail if you don't turn around. COVID-19, COVID-19, you break my heart, you got me locked at home, keeping my loved ones apart. smoking while I wait for my say. I miss seeing the tables and chairs lined up on the street and the rats and the roaches running underneath my feet. COVID-19, COVID-19. you took my life away. You got me locked at home, you're driving me insane. Now my wife has changed god only knows she used to want me always so close but now that i'm home she's acting like a jerk i say what's wrong with you and she says social distancing haven't you heard covid 19 -19. you make my wife turn you got me locked at home you're driving me bizarre now my daughter's stuck at home, she can't go to school, she watches Spongebob all day, all night, all afternoon. I said, too much TV will mess up your head, and she goes,
0: no. Nah!
2: COVID-19, COVID-19, you give me bad dreams. You got me locked ah. at home, you're driving me insane.
1: listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today we're talking again about the COVID pandemic and we're zooming in again on the issue of global access to the vaccines and the justice of it all. And we're talking with Matthew Rimmer, professor at QUT, who knows a lot about these kinds of matters. So, Uh, you mentioned COVAX COVAX as the kind of system which was set up by the WHO to take care of the distribution and the fair distribution. Didn't work really, as you already said before the music. So let's go to the people's vaccine campaign, which we talked about in a previous program as well in mid-August, and to the TRIPS waiver. Can you talk us through these campaigns and especially explain what the TRIPS waiver is and what it means?
0: So uh,
1: after the onset of the coronavirus crisis, there was a
0: campaign for a people's vaccine, mm-hmm. and that was really the result of uh, a collaborative uh, set of work by Oxfam, uh, but also a range of other organizations including UNAIDS with Winnie Byma uh, and an array of other civil society organizations. And the campaign was very much of the view that vaccines should be treated as global public goods. Mm -hmm. So instead of being subjected to intellectual property rights like patent rights or other forms of intellectual property rights, they should instead be dedicated to the public domain and be free and open for use and access on a needs basis. And the People's Vaccine Campaign. Uh, became uh, a really useful umbrella movement to bring together many different interests um, who were kind of concerned about some of these problems around access to essential medicines. So a number of former world leaders um, also lent their uh, reputational support um, to the movement. So former New Zealand Prime Minister Helen Clark, who used to be Mm. the head of the United Nations Development Programme, uh, was a very eloquent supporter of the ca- campaign for a people's vaccine. Uh, also, the uh, former British Prime Minister, Gordon Brown, um, has been very vocal in uh, the push for vaccine equity. Uh, but also a number of scientific and medical leaders have uh, joined the campaign for a people's vaccine So a range of Nobel laureates, including Australians, Brian Smith, Elizabeth Blackburn and Peter Doherty, uh, have uh, called for scientific cooperation and collaboration in terms of vaccine development. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that campaign has really placed pressure upon national leaders, particularly in developed countries, to try to ensure that there is a much more equitable situation in terms of the provision of access to medicines. Following on from that campaign, there was a push by the governments of South Africa and India for there to be a TRIPS waiver. Mm -hmm. Now, South Africa, as we talked about before, has had past experiences of uh, profound public health crises, like with HIV/AIDS,
1: mm-hmm.
0: India traditionally has been the pharmacy for the developing world and supply of generic medicines. Uh, those countries were very kind of concerned that the minimum standards and obligations laid down by the TRIPS Agreement, uh, which is a trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights agreement, which is part of the World Trade Organization system. Mm-hmm. Uh, was setting in place barriers to the ability of countries to swiftly um, research, develop and deploy um, vaccines, diagnostics, treatments and other Mm -hmm. health equipment. So their proposal for a TRIPS waiver uh, was for uh, certain parts of the TRIPS agreement to be suspended during the coronavirus crisis. Strikingly, they argued that um, such suspensions should relate to patents, which provide exclusive rights in relation to scientific inventions, like for instance, drugs and um, biological developments and um, chemicals and uh, methods of human treatment. They also argued that other forms of intellectual property should also be suspended. So copyright, trademarks, designs, mm-hmm. trade mm-hmm. secrets. Uh, they also kind of tried to kind of cast the scope broadly. So South Africa and India said that um, such suspensions should apply to not only vaccines, but also diagnostics and treatments and other mm-hmm. relevant health equipment.
1: mm mm-hmm.
0: So initially there were a range of responses to the proposal for a TRIPS waiver. Uh, A number of other developing countries and least developed countries have joined Mm -hmm. in supporting uh, the TRIPS waiver. Then there have been, I guess, some non-committal countries like Mm -hmm. Canada and Australia, for instance, who Mm -hmm. have equivocated on the topic a little bit and Mm -hmm. initially kind of asked for more evidence that intellectual property rights were creating impediments to Mm -hmm. research, Mm -hmm. development and distribution of Mm -hmm. vaccines. Um, The Trump administration in the United States Uh, was quite hostile to multilateral efforts to deal with the coronavirus generally, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. but was quite antagonistic to some of the proposals in relation to the TRIPS waiver. And there was also considerable opposition from the European Union Mm -hmm. um, and some neighbouring states like Switzerland, the United Kingdom and Norway. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, but also there was some resistance from, from other kind of intellectual yeah. property owners like yeah. Kind of yes. Japan. Yeah,
1: yes. yes. sorry to interrupt. We're slowly running out of time. <laughs> I just looked at the, at the, at the clock. Uh, what's Australia's position in all of this? What has it been and how? And I think I believe it changed just recently, didn't it?
0: Well, Australia have been sending a confusing mix of signals on the TRIPS waiver. Mm-hmm. Initially, uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison um, mm-hmm. gave quite mm-hmm. a powerful speech uh, at the United Nations talking about the importance of sharing any vaccines mm-hmm. with the rest of the world. And he kind of noted that you know history would judge um, mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. and individual countries on their actions and behaviour mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, in relation to vaccine sharing. Uh, But then uh, when uh, the United States um, kind of announced under President Joe Biden that uh, the United States would support a TRIPS waiver for Mm -hmm. vaccines, um, Australia made noticeably kind of equivocal noises. I mean, on the Mm, one hand, uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison said that he was pleased by the announcement. But on the other hand, Australia didn't kind of make any kind of commitment to support the South African and India proposal or the more circumscribed US proposal for mm-hmm. TRIPS mm-hmm. waiver for vaccines. Our neighbours, New Zealand, fit mm-hmm. their position to one of supporting the US position for a TRIPS waiver for vaccines. It's only been recently, this month yeah. in September, after sustained pressure from opposition parties like the Australian Labor Party and the Greens, um, the union movement and various civil society organisations,
1: mm-hmm. that
0: the Trade Minister Dan Tien has said that Australia will uh, support a TRIPS waiver. Um, many of the critics of the government are waiting to see what they actually do in meetings mm-hmm. from the World Trade Organisation and... Um, to, mm-hmm. to see whether they kind of follow yeah. through on that commitment. It's been yeah. noticeable this week that Aus Biotech and Medicines Australia, who represent big pharmaceutical companies, have been trying to pressure the Australian government to uh, uh, rejig their position on the TRIPS yeah. waiver. Yeah. But obviously yeah. Australia, with its dependence upon Pfizer. Um, has been quite cautious and wary of offending Pfizer Mm -hmm. and it seems to me that Pfizer has been a key opponent of the TRIPS waiver, both in Australia but also elsewhere around the world, most notably the European
1: Union. We have run out of time, Matthew. What do you suggest people should do? Should they be calling their uh, representatives or their politicians or what what, very quickly because we're running out of time? What do you suggest?
0: Well, at, at this stage of the debate... Uh, it really depends a lot upon some of the countries who are continuing to hold out against mm-hmm. the TRIPS waiver. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that seems to be Germany, um, mm. seems to be the kind of key opponent, which mm-hmm. is a little bit perplexing. You know, yes. last year yes. Angela Merkel was kind of talking about the importance of scientific cooperation. And this year Germany has been busy trying to protect the patent Mm -hmm. rights of pharmaceutical drug companies and biotech companies. Mm -hmm. So I think the European Union are kind of the key set of countries within that, that sector Mm -hmm. Um, who are providing opposition to the TRIPS waiver. So I think a lot will depend upon their response Mm -hmm. um, at upcoming meetings at the World Trade Organization in terms of whether or not a TRIPS waiver should take place. Mm -hmm. But clearly with the Delta surge of the coronavirus, Mm -hmm. uh, there is a pressing need to put in place better mechanisms to distribute and disseminate yep, vaccines yep. and other medical equipment worldwide. It's yeah, quite have- shocking what's happening in some of the neighbouring countries to Australia, like Indonesia, yep. Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. um, who have been um, facing the full brunt of the mm-hmm. Delta surge of late, and it's been putting their health systems under incredible pressure.
1: Thank you, Matthew, because we have run out of time. Meanwhile, thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio with me, Jacques Poulet, and with Matthew Rimmer from Queensland University of Technology. Remember, if you want to send us a message or ask about anything from today's program, email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. Our programs are available by podcast and the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au And thanks to Clive Bra- uh, Bone for uh, Bone for assisting with recording and you Joe
0: Hilda, Jake Guevara for I'm a down dead If a person speaks that critically here They could get loaded
2: down with lead How long can the majority wait
0: For their story to unfold Oh, they took their life and liberty friends, but they could not buy their
1: soul.